0: I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. My guest today is Suli Holum a theater artist whose work has been supported by The Orchard Project, Actors Theatre of Louisville, Playwrights Horizons, New Dramatists, The Playwrights Centre, The Ground Floor at Berkeley Rep, and HERE, and presented by Fringe Arts, The Public Theatre UTR, La Jolla Playhouse, Centre Theatre Group, Z-Space, and The Gate in London. As a member of Philadelphia's Wilma Hothouse, Sully has appeared in Romeo and Juliet and Dance Nation. Other acting projects include Sweat at Philadelphia Theatre Company, On the Exhale at Theatre Exile, The Few at Theatre Horizon, and Cabaret at the Arden, and an appearance on HBO's Mayor of Easttown. As a writer and director, she is a longtime collaborator with choreographer Nicole Canuso and has developed commissions for the National Constitution Center and the Institute on Disabilities at Temple University. A founding member of Pig Iron Theatre Company, she went on to co-found Stein Holum Projects with Deborah Stein, where she co-created and performed the Drama Desk-nominated Chimera and The Wholehearted. She recently launched Suli Holum The Work, a Philadelphia-based incubator for live performance. A recipient of a Drama Desk Award, a TCG Fox Resident Actor Fellowship, and a Barrymore Award, she is currently pursuing her MFA in Creative Writing at Goddard College, where she was the recipient of the 2020 Engaged Artist Award. Hi, Suli.
1: Hi. How are you? I'm great. I'm so glad that we're finally together and
0: doing this. I know. Thank you so much for being on American Theatre Artists Online on our podcast. We like to talk to what we call leading contemporary figures in American theatre. And you have such an interesting career um, that is so diverse, and you've done so many different things, Uh, a very multifaceted career that encompasses acting, directing, choreography, devising new works, um, teaching, both off-Broadway, regionally, D.C., Philadelphia. It's just... I love talking to people like you.
1: <laughs> Great. I can't wait to dive in.
0: Absolutely. I, I'd like to start by saying I think you are a renaissance woman in that way and that you're doing all these different things. Tell us a bit about, um, have you always balanced all of these or how did these various, because there's a lot of different interests, uh, develop for you? Was it one after the other? Were they sort of in tandem? How did, how did your development come to, you know, for where you are right now? How did you get to this?
1: That's such a fun question, and, and I love it because it gives me a chance to um, thank my parents. <laughs> mm. um, so my mom, um, whose name was Benny Ritchie Holum, um, was a modern dancer um, and a devised theater artist, um, back before I had ever heard the word devised. Um, and uh, I grew up in Philly and in Baltimore, and she was very involved in the modern and postmodern dancing in Philly and then in Baltimore, and then she started a devising theater company, physical theater company in Baltimore. Um so that i was sort of born into that and then my dad um is a lutheran minister uh and so i see my dad perform every sunday um Mm -hmm. and then my dad also uh would collaborate with my mom my dad performed with my mom um was very very supportive of her creative life but also engaged in her in the creative life um and you know is a writer you know that's his, um, like I really see his work, um, as, as, as artistry. Um, so they were both huge inspirations, um, to me and, uh, yeah. And then, and I went to, I had the, um, great joy of going to the Baltimore School for the Arts, which is a really exceptional, um, performing arts, visual and performing arts, uh, public school in Baltimore. Mm. And while I was there, um, uh, Donald Hicken, who ran the program, actually was partnered with Phil Arnault, who is still a a leader um, in international theater, um, and would bring this Israeli theater company, uh, which is no longer, but um, the the name of the company was Tamuna, which means moving image, and they would come and do these yearly workshops with us on Grotowski. So I mm. was doing, like, devising and Grotowski work with an Israeli physical theater company when I was 12 years old. Oh, wow. You know, like, I just, it, you know, in Baltimore. It's just mm-hmm. like, it all, it's like, mm. uh, yeah. And then, and then when I decided to go to school, you know, when, I was, when it was time to go t- to school... Um, I ended up at Swarthmore, which Mm. is a very, very academic, very theoretical place. Um, Mm. not a traditional place to go if you're like, I'm going to be an actor, which I, I knew I wanted to do. Um, and there I, my, my professor Alan Koharski, you know, taught us about, uh, Ariane Mnuchin and Joe Chaikin and the open theater, experimental theater, Jacques Lecoq, you know, physical theater from around the world, which really it, and then I I didn't even, I didn't choose the school knowing that that was going to be the scene. Mm -hmm. Um, So it just kind of, it just sort of unfolded. Um, And it was like an, it was a conversation. It wasn't a new conversation to me. It was sort of like where I had, you know, what I had grown up with in a way. Um, even if I was being introduced to you know to new voices and new 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 names, um, new realities, um, it, it all sort of felt like the same it felt like a familiar conversation mm-hmm. and um, that was really exciting. Mm-hmm. And this and I guess like at the center of that is this intersection between theater and dance, which mm-hmm. has always been uh, really exciting mm-hmm. for me. Um, and then also, I mean, also um, social justice. So mm. that's, um, yeah, that's always been really all, all those three things firing together has always been the most exciting thing for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's because of my parents.
0: <laughs> wow. What an interesting background and what an interesting story, you know, and I'm, I'm fascinated to hear about at a young age at the Baltimore School for the Arts, how you got your foundations there and then, and then Swarthmore and working with. Someone like Joseph Chaikin. I mean, what was that like working with that great director uh, that did you because as I as I look through your career and I look a bit through your resume and what you've done, it seems like it's the perfect person for you to work with because you model a bit. Maybe I see some parallels.
1: Yeah, well, we you know, that was incredible. So I as a sophomore at Swarthmore, I was co-founder of Pig Iron Theatre Company, which Hmm is a, a devising theater ensemble heavily heavily influenced by Lecoq many of the members trained at Lecoq and um, they are now has a school um, that has a, a very um, firm uh, Lecoq basis and um, that we we formed at Swarthmore very much because we were influenced by by uh, Alan Koharsky as I said who had worked with Joe so, when I graduated from Swarthmore, Pickering was—we had been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival three times. Um, we were, we were, and we decided, like, ah, oh, we're gonna do this. This is what we're gonna do full time," which was um, brave and exciting. And um, Alan had this idea, like, I-, "I think you guys should work with Joe. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out to Joe um, uh, because the work that you're doing and the and your um, ethos." is very in keeping with, like, early open theater. And we, and we got to do it. I mean, it was, like, really, as a, you know, very young theater artist, it was really, really thrilling. And we, we spent two weeks at in the theater space at the West Beth where Joe lived, um, just, like, generating from the ground up with Joe. and And then went on to create a show that was in collaboration with him Um, and also in collaboration with Deborah Stein, um, who's the writer who I then went on to have a, a very deep collaboration with later on. Mm -hmm. And, um, it was, it was amazing to work with Joe. Joe was aphasic. Um, Joe, Joe suffered, uh, a number of strokes. And Mm. when we worked with Joe, um, he was aphasic and he made a piece about that with Sam Shepard. Um, and had performed, um, and I, I, Joe would sometimes say the opposite, the the nature of his aphasia was such that he would sometimes say the opposite of what he meant, Mm. um, which actually would often result in really magical things happening, (laughs) which is not to say, it's not, not, not like we we were, we were, we were in tune, you know, with Joe Mm. and, um, there was, but there was a level of interpretation that needed to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it just made me, it really taught me that that is actually always the case.
0: Oh, <laughs> and,
1: yes. um, in the Right. And, yeah. and that, um, and that the the wider that space was like in in many cases the wider that space was between intention and and, and interpretation mm. the more space for 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 exploration and experiment mm. I don't, it was it was very very exciting I also had a, an amazing um, Joe, Joe and I went on a stroll and um, and he walked me by the storefront where he it's, just, it's definitely not there anymore. but in the East Village where 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 there was a storefront and there were all these photos, it must have been near La Mama and um, because there are pictures like when you go into La Mama, there' are all these black and white photos of Joe as a performer and very young, very very beautiful young actor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: all these black and white photos. and he just wanted me to see you know that he had been a performer. Um, mm-hmm. and then he said he said, uh, companies. Uh, should last for ten years, and then after that, they're not companies anymore; they're families. And I was like, "Huh." <laughs> and as a young, right, like as a as a young uh, divisor mm-hmm. working in collaboration, uh, I, that really stuck with me. Like I, I, I and I, I was so, I was very grateful for his for his candor, and also, uh, you know that insight um which i think many folks are navigating this question right now as as we you know we've been apart from each other or coming back together Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be in ensemble what does it mean to be in company what does it mean to commit to each other what are the expectations are we when we make a show together are we family are we we're something more than Business partners, right? I mean, we yeah. know that, right? Yeah. Art, is, art is more personal than that. It needs to be, but we also need to. But we, but also, there's there are a lot of um, new practices around boundaries and professionalism and and support and. Respecting difference and sort of not imposing, like, well, we're a family, right? Like anything goes because we're a family, you right? Know? The boundaries it's, it's, you still have boundaries, right? That, that right. can be yeah. that that can be actually very yeah. that can be very harmful, right? Mm-hmm. Families are sometimes yeah. uh, really dysfunctional.
0: <laughs> yes, and like I said, the boundaries you need you need to have boundaries even in in good relationships and even in friendships and in it, you need boundaries, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. So I felt like that was like a very early um <laughs> an early and sort of unexpected little kernel of wisdom. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. you know what I mean like that wasn't the the conversation I was expecting to have with Joe. I was like, "Oh, okay, all right." Like and it and and it, and uh and I think also this really also just a very beautiful um truth which is that That so much of what we do um, and the way that we work is intended to be so for a period of time Mm. and then to end and then to make space for whatever the next thing is. I was talking to another theater artist today about the practice of reinvention, how necessary that is um, Mm -hmm. if you're going to make a life of this. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. So I feel I also feel um, that that was
0: something I learned from Joe. Wow. I mean, what an amazing experience to have, like you said, as a young artist, to be able to work with him and to get some of that um, knowledge right from the source and some some of those experiences. And, you know, something you said struck me as you're talking about a lot of these things that you're talking about and the training that you've been exposed to and and sort of the way you approach theater is is so different from a lot of other theater that happens in America. And I find that um, my mom's from from South America and I grew up in Brazil and in other parts of the world, you know, Europe and South America have a really different approach to theater than the U.S. i S I'm being very general here, but there seems to be a very yes. much of a, an, a, of a need to make money here. It's much a more of a commercial effort. Whereas in Europe and in, um, Latin America, and I'm being very general, but the experiences I've, experiences I've had there at least have been much more um, family, what you're saying, creation, devising. Uh, it's more the focus is more on the work and creating something, whether or not it makes money doesn't matter, so to speak.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, obviously, yeah. we want to be able to survive and sell tickets, but um, because there's so much more support for the arts and, and from a government point of view or from other. So it just seems like a much more European approach. And that's what was so interesting, reading your resume and reading your, it's a much more humane, if I can call it that, approach and a little less, um, you know, business oriented than some of the other Experiences that I've I've seen here in 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 the U.S. at least. So I wonder if you would talk a bit about that in your experience, because I know you've worked off Broadway yeah. and and you know you've worked aside, you know outside of Philadelphia. Obviously, you've worked off Broadway. You've worked in D.C., New York, Philly. How how are you sensing that, or what do you think about that divide?
1: Well, you know what's really interesting is is um, you know I I think there is such a, a cult of the individual mm. in American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and this idea of, of the individual genius, and um, it's a, it's a it's a myth. Yeah. <laughs> so 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 the I think in other cultures it's just more of a of a, of a um, more honesty about what it actually takes to make theater happen. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. But it is always a communal effort, Absolutely. and it it just gets framed in the united states as something else <laughs> like mm. like like it's that it's this director's vision that made the thing so amazing right. or this incredible playwright right that the work of right. this incredible player but yeah but i but but without fail um and this is a difficult thing um for folks who are wanting to enter the industry is that it is always a communal effort, and what happens is that even though the system is set up um, to to sort of encourage individualism, people create little pockets uh, in order to do whatever they can to create that little sense of community. Right. Yeah. So that's that's why it becomes a little bit of a closed system because people will hire directors will hire the designers that they've worked with for many many years. Right. They. they yeah. They will hire. Actually, you you hire the actors who already know each other because you know that that's going to make the work. So these little companies. It's like sort of this like
0: you're building companies anyway, uh, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm -hmm. Like right, and and for so for there was this period of time where all of these regional theater companies were actually founded as resident companies. Yes, and all that's
0: gone away in the last. And that all right for
1: financial reasons. That all dismantled mm-hmm. and then there's just been this sort of catches cat like this like scramble to recreate as much of that as you can when you can kind mm. of a, kind of a thing that's a great observation
0: um, yeah that's really true and
1: then also i would say in new york city like in new york city the culture is of like just unpaid labor just unpaid mm, mm, right that the, mm. the, the things get developed in workshop or readings where actors give their time to help a playwright and they just don't get paid oh,
0: we but they but they're there yeah. right they
1: come they read they give oh, feedback they yes. help and that's you know and that's changing that's absolutely changing yes. and there are organizations that are really making a commitment to changing that but it also has to do with like educating funders about what it actually takes and and then also that li- really tricky thing cuz I, I also have had the experience of of being a co-artistic director of being in the position of having to raise the money so i so i i totally understand the dynamic and how difficult it is yeah. and something that has always struck me is this pressure to expand as also being a cultural value like mm. like you, you that a uh, in order for a company to be considered successful and worth funding, it has to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. You have to prove that you like okay, we succeeded at this, so now we're going to do more next time. And so what you're funding is us doing more. And it's like
0: there's an ambition. That's uh, but that's a that's it, a fundamentally yeah, that's a fundamentally American drive. I don't see that. Yeah. Else, there's an ambition. Uh, make it bigger, grow it, make more money. Right. right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I mean, and it doesn't. I mean, it changes. It, it changes the company. It,
1: yeah. And it, and it's not, it's, uh, it's not inherently necessary. Like, <laughs>
0: no, no, correct. You, you don't know? need to do And, it, um,
1: I, I, and I feel, I'm, I'm super thrilled cause I, I, I have an artistic home right now. That's a really, really exciting place to be mm. at the Wilma theater. Mm. Um, and the Wilma is, um, you know, has abolished 10 out of 12s and we're doing five hour work weeks and we're, mm. um, we're using, you know, trauma informed practices in the rehearsal room and grounding, and and um, it's and it it's so exciting, like, mm-hmm. but if, and it and like you said, like it it's not unheard of in other places, but it right. doesn't feel super radical here, you know. Yeah, it just, isn't
0: that funny? It feels, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, so, yeah,
0: yeah. So talk a bit about Philadelphia, because you talk you mentioned you raised the Wilma Hothouse Company, uh, and talk a bit about your membership there and what it's about. You started hinting at it here, and uh, maybe a little bit more about the Philadelphia yeah. family, a Philadelphia theater scene that you're in, which is a very different scene yeah. from D.C. and New York. What, what's going on there? Yes,
1: yes, it is. I'm so, so, because I've worked, I've worked in all three markets, mm-hmm. and um, the... <sighs> Philly's really interesting for me because it's where I'm from originally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up in Baltimore a bunch, but I was born here um, mm-hmm. and was and was a part of like where I remember the art scene in Philly from the early '80s because of my mom, as I said. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was here like around the like early 2000s, late '90s, early 2000s. This is where this is where I was, and that's really beautiful thing happened in philly which is a small enough place that um one organization can really make a huge impact on the whole community so and that organization was the philadelphia fringe festival Mm. which um which which started uh you know has just celebrated its 20th anniversary and it started right around the same time that pig iron Founded and became a full time thing, and then there was also um, a dance company called Headlong Dance Theater, um, and then the and so there was this interest in this intersection between dance and theater that was happening, mm. and all of the regional theater in town also got interested in that, which mm. is which is Great. yeah, just really exciting. Like I remember in D.C. Um, I can't remember the name of the company, but I know that there's a company in DC that was doing physical theater, mm. and maybe even wordless physical theater. And oh, synetic, um,
0: synetic theater. Yes, yeah, yes, synetic, synetic theater. Yeah. Yes,
1: yes, yes. And I remember having conversations with artists in DC, and realizing how um, how 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 clear the delineations were between. Mm. Them the yes. different performance arts in in DC and then and that and I was sort of like using on oh right like in DC there's this huge um there's a very large audience for the classics in DC and and Shakespeare mm-hmm. big time and um what I would sort of call like white marble theater, right? It's sort of like mm-hmm. the kind of theater that sort of goes along with all the monuments. Kind of yeah,
0: thing. yeah, that's, a good, that's um, a good way to look at it, yeah. And, and there's a yeah, very, and, it's a very highly educated theater audience, a lot of yes. PhDs and master's degrees and people with a lot of money and affluence, the two richest counties. Yes. It's two of the richest counties in the country are in the D.C. Yes. area, Fairfax County and Montgomery yes. County. Right, so that's where you get... Um, a lot of this interest in sort of stately um, established, I could call it, theater. And then there's such a divide, right? Because even our Helen Hayes Awards are divided into now into like large theaters and small theaters. Uh So we Uh have, it's Uh very clear cut. You're absolutely right. Right, so there's all this like scale. Yeah.
1: Right. And and that, you know, it has to do with the size and, and also, just like what what else is going on in DC, mm. right? It's like it's mm-hmm. a very, um, yeah, state, it's a stately place, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's not Philly, you know. Like yeah. Philly, Philly to do theater in Philly is to do is to be weird.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nice. yeah.
1: Like even if like even if you're, I mean, even if you're like. <sighs> I don't know, like, even if it's the Walnut Street, like, even if it's big musical, which, like, Walnut Street would be, like, our biggest, um, our biggest regional theater with, like, the largest subscriber base, mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, the average person in Philly going to the theater is just not something that occurs to them to do, it well, just is not, it's, it's much more, I mean maybe dare I say like representative of like most of America like it, I was it's gonna um, say,
0: blue collar is what I think working class and I'm probably wrong downtown Philly is probably not like that but I think it's I think of it more as a working man's working woman's um city
1: yeah well there's there is that for sure mm-hmm. but but also there is a there is a um there there are plenty of folks in the united states who are plenty affluent mm. who have never seen a play
0: <laughs> very good point yes
1: you know what i'm saying like yes. it's just like theater is not like we're like like we're um i had this conversation with the designer um who we're collaborating with at the wilma because we uh dima Kremov, Dmitry Kremov, is uh, a, a is a, he's a Russian director and he's and he is directing a cherry orchard with mm. the Hot House Company, which is very exciting. Mm-hmm. It's this um international collaboration. And in Russia, he is the most he's like the preeminent theater director in Russia. Mm-hmm. Right. And the the um and his father was before him. This mm-hmm. is what the, what the designer was explaining to me. And I just had this moment where I was like Aha! Uh-huh. Such a thing does not exist in the United States. Mm. The preeminent theater director, like no, yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. that's like where people like nationally know who this guy is. Like that's right. not that's just not Good how point. theater. Yeah, that's not the place that theater holds in our in our country. Um, yeah. And I don't know. As I'm not, I'm it's not, I'm not making an argument like positive or negative. It just, but I do.
0: No, it's just re- I do think it's reality. Yeah,
1: it, yeah, it can be useful to just like, uh-huh, just like see where you're, you know what I mean? Well, as, like,
0: someone oh, creating, I as someone creating theater and devising theater in the United States, it's important for you to to grasp that and to understand that about the country in which you are creating. Yeah. Because if you look at, for example, yeah. the, the hubbub that just happened this last, understandably, the last couple of weeks over the death of Stephen Sondheim... Of course, every it, it, yes. but it matches both things that you were just saying, which is one the cult of the individual. It's Steven Sondheim is dead, and yeah. now all musical theater. You know, it's like no Stephen Sondheim was a collaborator, and he collaborated beautifully with with either James Lapine or Hal Prince, and he, he created different shows depending on who he was collaborating with, right? So that gets missed. Yeah. <laughs> That's the nuance that gets missed, and just what you're saying about sort of this idea that there is a. People don't really, even though we're going on and on about Stephen Sondheim, most people don't even know who he is. <laughs> no. <laughs> most people in America have no idea who he is. Right. Yeah, and it's
1: not, and, it, and I, I think, so I, I don't know, I'm more and more, I'm like, thinking about, I mean, I was mentioning, I just did this um, Christmas show, I played an anti-consumer, a small elf, in a Christmas show, um, <laughs> at a small theater in Norristown, Pennsylvania, which is, um, an industrial suburb of Mm. Philadelphia Mm -hmm. and, you know, really more a post-industrial suburb of Philadelphia. Right. And, Mm. um, I, it's a really exciting little theater because they are really trying to figure out what exactly it is that they offer to the community. Right. What what mm-hmm. exactly do they have to offer to the community? That mm-hmm. that that um, a community of predominantly working class folks who've maybe never seen a play. Mm-hmm. Um, what what does it take to make that a welcoming space for folks? Mm-hmm. And um, the artistic director Nell um, trained out at Cornerstone in L. A. Um, in techniques of building theater with community members mm-hmm. um, and this sort of hybrid, this hybrid work um, where, where people can see themselves on stage um, or see their own stories on stage. Uh, and that, I mean, even just hearing myself say that, I'm like, Oh yeah, right. Like the reason why people don't want to go see plays is because they're not, the stories aren't about them.
0: Right. So, and, and making it community based is so key. And so many people in the theater don't seem to grasp that. Uh, and yeah, so, well, I was yeah. talking to the director, Marsha Milgram Dodge, a couple of weeks ago on this podcast. And, you know, she's Tony Award nominated, you know, for the Ragtime Revival. And she's worked a lot uh, across the country regionally. And what she said is every time I go into a region or an area or a city, I have to get in touch with that city. What do they need? What do they want? I'm here to create theater for this community. No matter what I'm yeah. doing, if I'm doing a musical or a revival, I still have to base it on the needs and the wants and the desires and the, the feelings of this community in which I am presenting. I thought that was so clever. Yeah. That's right? what you're saying. Yeah. It has to be community-based. Yeah. yeah, that's
1: yeah. Au- it's awesome. So that I would say... That I, like, we, because we moved back to Philly, uh, six years ago now, after being in New York for 15 years, Mm. and my, my husband is also a theater artist, and, um, I, you know, it was primarily, I think, a personal, um, and, and parental decision, um, that it was, it was what was going to be best for my daughter, um. And, but you know the, a big part of that was I that I, I really wanted to raise her I wanted to raise her in community with this community of artists here mm. in Philadelphia yeah. um, and and so that's that's what I would say about Philly is that it 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 it's tight and it's and it's um it does mean that there, you, there's no anonymity, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, You know the and converse, yeah. and especially especially in the last couple of years, the conversations and the confrontations have been heated and they have been personal. Mm. Um, sure. But the account, but also the accountability has been real, and mm. the changes have been authentic. Oh wow! Um, and and that's that makes it, yeah, a mm. really, a really exciting place to be. And mm. then I also feel, I mean, there's so many. So many folks who have cracked this code, which is that it is uh, Philly is a much more livable place mm. um, than you know it's more inexpensive than DC or or New York certainly yes um, and that a lot of folks use Philly as a home base to create work that then they can take to New York or take. To other places. You know, it's uh, funny
0: that you talk about that. I was talking to some people about New York and how New York used to have that sort of within itself an artistic community. So if you'd go to Soho or West Village or where, you know, it it moved around depending on the era and the decade. But over the last 50 years, New York has become so if I could say, inhospitable to artists because it's so expensive. You can't live and work in New York as an artist. So people, yeah. that's all moved to cities like Philadelphia, Detroit, Richmond, yeah. um, these cities that you don't think of as being centers necessarily of, of much uh, artistically, but yet here they are growing these amazing artists because artists can afford to live there and make their own community, right? Yeah, it's yeah, really yeah,
1: and that's and that's really exciting and mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm I uh <laughs> you wake up one day and you're like, "Oh, I'm I'm an elder. Um
0: <laughs> <laughs> elder <laughs> in your I, community." Yeah,
1: sure. Yeah, exactly. But I'm like I you know, it's exciting to be, you know, teaching the next generation of artists, of creators um at the Pig Iron School uh and folks uh a lot of them stay, you know, yeah. a lot of them end up staying in Philly and, um, and that's really cool. And then, you know, that also the truth is that New York is really close by. <laughs> like, right. You have the proximity to New York. Yeah. You can yeah. go up to New York for an audition. Like I, there, I have plenty of, um, Colleagues here in Philly who mm-hmm. routinely um, audition in New York and, and and book things out of New York and yeah. and uh, yeah, it's a so there's a way there is a way of sort of cobbling. or you you go all up and down um, the East Coast yeah. in terms of um, the TV and film stuff in particular, but yeah, it's a good
0: it's a good place to be. That's amazing. Well, it yeah. makes sense why you've chosen that at you know for your home with your history and your past and your uh, since you, yeah. you you grew up in an artistic community you wanted your 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 child to have that same experience and i think that makes sense to me listening to you talk yeah. so let's yeah. talk, let's talk a bit about your actual your sort of your imprint or some of what you bring to the work that you do when you are devising or creating i read somewhere that you've been called an innovator for integrating technology into live performance tell us more about that as much as you can on a podcast versus you know show us but um yes. uh, tell us how you do that and what is it exactly that you do with technology or maybe give us some examples of how you like to integrate and innovate by integrating technology into into your performances
1: sure yeah so so this is actually um I don't know we were talking about reinvention a little bit earlier. Was it really? I think that that really represents a, a chapter mm-hmm. um, in my in my creative life. Um, that really, as every everything, every new chapter for me is usually is based around a conversation. Um, I, I'm a, I'm a real true collaborator at heart, mm-hmm. and I um, I started a conversation with the playwright and director Deborah Stein. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh. 10 years ago, maybe a little little more, um, we had worked together in Pig Iron, and then we'd both sort of gone off to do, I was doing more freelance acting stuff for a while in New York, and um, she studied with Paula Vogel at Brown, and mm. um, she was making her way as a, as a playwright, and we were both feeling like, oh, we're not being invited to bring every like we're not being invited to bring our whole selves in the way that we really we really want to mm-hmm. um, in any of these creative rooms. So maybe we should team up. And the first thing that we did, well, the first thing, the way that we decided to approach it was that she was like, "Just send me some ideas um, for shows that you want to make." Um, and I sent her some ideas, and then she. Which I, what I love about her, she was like, "I'm going to choose the one that seems the least possible." I was like, awesome. That sounds like a great place to start. So, this is what really launched our deep dive into sound and projections. And this was this was early, like like mm. Isadora was like in t- its sort of testing stage. And I think Isadora has now been supplanted by by another program um that's more elegant in terms of um programming projections for for theater but mm-hmm. um at the time isadora was like this huge new thing and we wanted to make this show about based on a, a radio lab episode um about a woman who discovered that she was not genetically the mother of her own children mm-hmm and it turned out that she was what's called a medical chimera which meant that she had absorbed a twin in utero mm. and that, that the mm. the genetic material that would have been her twin became her ovaries which then meant that her children had the genetic material of the sister that never happened
0: oh wow it was both
1: Ooh. like science and a poem at the same time it was really really intriguing to us mm. and we were really interested in creating something about what you can see and what you can't see with the naked eye what's on the surface and what's underneath and we both were like we've seen projections in theater a lot Mm -hmm. and it always feels extraneous or surface or added on or sort of shoved in
0: Mm -hmm.
1: now I'm saying this you know, this was quite a while ago, right? And so the art form has moved forward quite a bit. But at the time, also, at the time, also using projections was like financially, right? That was, there were a lot of people who weren't doing it because it was, it was quite expensive at the time, and this was like yeah. before iPhones. Like this was before yeah. you could just
0: like yeah. make a movie on your phone. Yeah, the technology. Phone, the know? technology has advanced so much that yeah. now it's a lot easier and yeah, yeah, more yeah. accessible to people. Yeah, but
1: but the but the but the philosophy, like I carry into all, and I'll talk a little bit about a workshop that I'm that I'm hosting this week, and my and what I'm doing with my company. Mm. The idea that we or the structure that we came up with um pete carl who is an incredible theater practitioner and teacher um helped us articulate that the way that we created was in creative sprints which is a term that's borrowed from um from silicon valley which is the idea that you fund uh, short intensive development periods for elements of a new technology you know like if you're if you're creating a new app, you're gonna do a creative sprint around the interface. We're gonna do the creative sprint around XYZ, whatever element, but not try you're not gonna to try to make the whole thing in two mm-hmm. weeks. You're just mm-hmm. working on like one element. Mm-hmm. And so by fundraising that way and working that way, we were able to start a writing process, which is we would call just generating a new work of theater a writing process, whether it was text-based or not. We could start the process with projections Hmm. and then work in relationship to that. Or we have a creative sprint on costumes where the first day we have the costume designer brings us the costumes to play with, and then we write from there, you know, based on... Mm -hmm. So, so that the designers were a part of the writing process and any any technology that we were working with was part of the writing process from way earlier mm-hmm. than it was traditionally, you know, that traditional like production meeting, production meeting, production meeting, tech, everything lands and then you have like five days to figure out what it all means. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our work would develop around the edges of our lives and around around the availability of funds um, over a number of years and then we we create these like finely tuned um, technically elaborate uh, especially for like our very small company like like we're not we we're like we we're saying like we're we're not the wooster group like we've we, don't, mm-hmm. we like, like don't roll up with like with with like all the touring technicians like five deep like it's just us and our stuff yeah. but um but we with what we with the resources that we have and the, uh, um we we would create things that were um techn techn, techn- technologically elaborate but mm-hmm. also like dramaturgically technological, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, um, I've since, uh, and we did, and it was great. It was a great time and it was a lot of work. Um, and I have since, um, you know, I took, we, we moved on and, you know, reinvention, um, both, both stepped away from the company and I, I gave some, I was giving some thought for a while about, um, how I might sort of apply the lessons learned and support other artists in their desire to work in that same way. Like how, how, how Mm -hmm. could I best support that? And so I've started a company called Sully Hall in the work. And the mission of that company is to support the spark of, of artists ideas and that I'm not a, I'm not a, producing organization i'm not i'm not um i'm not going to be presenting work
0: Mm -hmm.
1: i want to fund the stage of the process that's i think the most difficult stage to get support for which is this very early idea Mm -hmm. and i want to provide enough support so that for example um if an artist says i've never worked with puppetry before but i have this idea um This is Piranka's piece. I have this idea that I want to make a piece about my grandmother, and I saw this puppet, and I think it's really incredible, um, but I don't know the first thing about how I would make a piece with puppetry. Then I can support the initial workshop where we work with a range of puppeteers. We train in puppetry. Um, There are mock-ups. There are things built and not because they're being built from performance because the performance doesn't exist yet, you know, but, but it means that the writing can come from that exploration and whatever's written can be in response to, um, to that kind of exploration, which for me is the same as, yeah, we're going to have projections in the room on the first day because we know that projections are like a key component to this conceptually. If That makes sense. So it's not, it's not that I'm like, I mean, I actually am, pretty terrified of technology
0: <laughs> <laughs> i understand but i mean i think it's, it's like an incubator it's a, you're, you're like incubating you're giving yeah. you're giving a safe space yeah. for artists to explore without the pressure of you know got to get this done in four weeks and get it up and on its feet and create it you can't work that way it's exhausting.
1: yeah totally yeah and also like also for the designers it's such a huge relief because designers so often are working with people they're like mm-hmm. they try their best to explain mm-hmm. how things are going to arrive into the room but they, mm-hmm. but they're it's all it's all theoretical until you hit tech you know mm-hmm. and it's like it, it, there are there's so much nuance and yeah, I just find I'm always so thrilled by how dramaturgical designers are if they if they are allowed into the conversation at the right time, you know. Right. Yeah, earlier. Um, yeah. 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 But it takes but it really takes forethought and and planning and sure. and and technical support in order mm-hmm. for that to happen. So
0: yeah. All of the stuff you're talking about with the work that you did with Deborah Stein, uh, and all the the you know the Chimera. And you know the Drama Desk nominated Chimera, I might say. So you did get some, you did get some recognition, uh, even in America, in the U.S. Did too, did too. Yeah. So it happens, people. You can you can work this way and get recognized and get some some eyeballs and, and butts and seats. It's okay, people. That's what I'm saying. Is it? You know. A, but with that, and also with this wonderful kind of giving back that you're doing, as, as I see it, um, with the work and incubating and helping other artists and having a safe space and a place for artists to create and a laboratory, like you say, for developing new performance, that's all wonderful. And I I think it's great that you're doing that within within the confines of a, of, of a nice uh, city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, in which to do it in, uh, <laughs> I think it sounds so great, but um, it, it is, but so tell me, I read all about all this, that you're doing all these wonderful things, and then at the same time, I see that you're getting your MFA in creative writing, not theater, <laughs> creative writing, and you and uh, is this, because you want another avenue or another way to maybe think of writing for live performance or is it just in tandem with what you're doing or is it not that planned out? Or, I mean, I think it's great that you're doing it.
1: Oh yeah, no, it's very, um, every, all the choices that I make are, are related to like a problem, right?
0: So mm-hmm.
1: like, Deborah, we need to make a play because projection and performance is a problem. Let's figure it out. Um, hmm. yeah, I, I, Okay, long story. I went out to North Dakota in 2016 um, to do interviews. I was in, I was invited as a guest of North Dakota State University. Um, actually, Deborah and I were invited to go out and 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 workshop anything we wanted to be working on. But I had also, at the same time been really intrigued by this piece I saw on CNN about women in the oil fields in North Dakota and how it was the new wild west. And I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. that sounds amazing. Like,
0: isn't, isn't there a I, movie about that? I feel like there was a movie about that, but anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah. So, so <clears throat> I, so then I got this invite and, mm-hmm. um, Deborah wasn't able to join me. So it was something and I, I, I went out by myself. Um, and I ended up conducting these interviews, um, with women in Williston, North Dakota. And then also, um, with professor Michael Yellowbird, who was the head of indigenous studies at North Dakota State University Mm. about the relationship between settlers and oil drilling and Native American people, Mm. um, in that part of the world. Um, and he connected me with his niece, uh, Chase, who is a volunteer um, who searches for missing and murdered indigenous women and others um, out on what's called the back and shale, which includes North Dakota. So right in the center of our country is this huge oil deposit. Mm. Uh, it spans um, multiple States and uh, it's a very, Fraught place, you know, the oil industry is not kind. We're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about like best practices in theater, like <laughs> try working on an oil rig, yeah. Um, sure. and um, and I interviewed folks, and I was, I, I encountered so many compelling stories, and then I did my first impulse, which was to turn it into a solo show, and which I did, um, at Hear Arts, um, like I was was able to do a little workshop of it and I thought okay no this is more this is more story than one body can hold in this case and I had been very excited about solo performance and like stretching the boundaries of solo performance like Mm -hmm. how many stories I could hold in in my one body but um this is more than than I could hold And, and I thought gosh I've never um I've never tried to write like a like a big play play. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not sure I know how to do that. Wow. Um, and, and by myself, you know, okay. what, what would it mean to write something by myself? Mm-hmm. And I had been eyeing the, um, the creative writing program at Goddard, this low residency creative writing program for a long time. And then when coronavirus struck um, and everything everything in my theater life froze um i thought oh uh i can't imagine a more opportune time <laughs> now's the time to dig myself yeah <laughs> yeah yeah if, if there's ever going to be a time i think this is probably the time
0: yeah and so
1: and so i did and so i'm i'm in the program and i'm i'm almost done i've got one more semester um wow I do have a dramatic writing focus, but it, but it is it is a really interesting place to study because it's not at all a theater program, mm. and um, it's a very like the, m- many of the other writers are are poets and novelists and and um, creative nonfiction, and it's been really cool to to be in space with them and mm. um, to write. I've been writing a lot of poetry. It's it, and it and it has it has. Um, really pushed me to keep digging into what is it that makes it a play? Why, Mm. why does this material need to be a play Mm. when it could be, I could write it and it could be, um, in any other genre. And so Mm. what is it about the way that I need to tell this that makes it a play? And I, and I feel like I'm still, um, Yeah, I know. I mean, I know I am. I'm still I'm still refining that. Um, Mm. But I have I'm I have a a, I am coming out of this with with a with a solid draft and Mm. going to be um, doing a reading of it and and going into development with it. And I'm I'm very excited to for the work to be in a room with theater people because it, it has not been so much um, over the last couple of years i mean that's not to say i mean my advisor i do have playwrights as my advisors and that's awesome but it's not the like new play development process that i'm used to Mm -hmm. where you you know your your funky little draft Mm. comes into the room and people read it and then you learn you know what i mean like you learn from hearing like Mm. like what what's going right and and what's where you've taken a wrong turn so um This is all, this has all been this sort of a silent, a silent process so far. Um, Mm. but yeah, it's been great and, and very, yes, very, uh, ruminative. I've had, I've had a lot of time with, and I, and I'm, it's great. It's, it's really great. It's a, it's a, it's a, after so many years of making work in pretty much constant dialogue Mm. with other artists, um, Experimenting with what it means to spend a significant chunk of, of development um, alone has been um, great. I, I feel like I've really learned, learned a lot. Um, Even
0: if it's not my preferred way of working. Right. Well, sometimes you need a little solitude. You need to step back a bit to be able to see the bigger picture. And that's fascinating. And I was just thinking as you were talking about your impulse to do this MFA in creative writing. It sounds wonderful. And it sounds like it's really going to help with everything that you want to do. But I was struggling myself because I'm creating or devising a new piece around my mother and her grandmother immigrating to the U.S., from Uruguay, where I'm from, and it's a musical, kind of, it's a play, I don't know. And so I've enlisted two playwrights, but I'm not the playwright, right? I'm not a, just the, because of the same reason <sighs> you just explained. I didn't get my MFA in creative writing, so I didn't know how to write a play. So I had to enlist two playwrights, and they're wonderful. Don't get me wrong, but there has been a bit of a struggle of yeah. communi- of communicating sort of what I want to be on the page and what I need to be on the page because yeah. I'm sort of the 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 creative spark has come from me for this piece. It's my idea. So then, how do I put? Yeah. You know, then When the playwright starts writing their own thing, it suddenly becomes their idea, You know, they're doing their own thing, and so you might want to think about once you're done with your mfa how do you make that work in your in your the work space that's something interesting to bring playwrights and directors together because we often have idea creators we have ideas but we don't know how to write the play and yet the playwrights don't know how to do the play so it's kind of uh uh, uh, there's (laughs) a bridge yeah you need to build a bridge
1: yeah 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 totally i mean that there is a I have this year has been really exciting because I, I've always done a little bit of teaching at Pig Iron, but this year I did a, a bunch more because the, the writing component mm-hmm. of the devising program is is getting more and more fleshed out, mm-hmm. and and that, I think that is an interesting thing. Um, it, it, it <laughs> it's an interesting thing because because there's been I think a um, even a when I was reading the um. I was reading the Moment work book, the Moises Kaufman mm. about how you know they identified that there was even a sort of a suspicion of the written word for a while mm. in 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 postmodern theater, which then was like part of devised theater, like um, because because there's this like very literary uh, traditional theater um, mm. that has sort of been placed on a you know on a on a pedestal and. But it, but there is this possibility of creating something collaboratively and and also having like refined, beautiful, fully realized text like that. That was also something that Deborah yes. and I were really really excited about. Yes. Um, and it and it's hard, um, but but that's a training like playwrights. There's like an ear or a way of being in the room that, that playwrights need training in. Mm. Um, that's not, I mean, yeah, it's not like, like you have to practice. Mm.
0: Well, (laughs) we don't do, we don't put those people, we don't put those people in the room together a lot in yes, America right, right. which is so bizarre right. to me because that's yeah. these are the people that need to be talking the most the actors the playwrights yes. and the directors should be in the room together yes. and we sort of issue it like in the US if there's a playwright it's like the director and the actors don't necessarily want the playwright and they're like oh a lot of times it's like oh he's just going to get in the way or she's going to get in the way put her put her aside yeah. have her have her in that room working on the play and then we'll just take the play when she's done it's like no 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 it's like right. and <laughs>
1: right no right and that was deborah's like that's why she was so she's like we need to start a company mm-hmm. and then but then there's also like coming from the acting perspective yeah. there's a tra- and this happens with designers too the training programs and i know this is changing a little and there are mm-hmm. some there are now more and more programs that are in like interdisciplinary yes um, or, or devising programs but there was this whole school of like the designer's job is to come up with a great idea and then defend the hell out of that idea, right? That you, that you (laughs) come in this, and same for playwrights, right? That the the, the playwright needs to defend their vision. Right.
0: Every word. Um, Right. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And that's, and it, it's very competitive.
0: It's not collaborative. It's competitive.
1: Right. Well, it takes us back to the beginning of our conversation, right? Which is Mm -hmm. like, we gotta see the culture that we live in, right?
0: it all tracks. Well, it all it's totally a per- it's, we're we're almost out of time, Suli. So it's a great way to kind of go full circle, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. Uh, because it's been such a fascinating conversation. I feel like I don't have enough time to talk to you about all the the wonderful big things that we do want to <laughs> talk about. But it's so great that in this time that we did get to talk, we did get to find out about what you're doing and your part in in helping uh, creative people develop their work and creating your own work. And in in finding new ways, new and and inventive ways to devise and to create art and to create theater in this, uh, in our country. And so it's really wonderful to hear that you're doing that. But before we go, we have to talk a bit. And this is just something that I saw on your resume quick. And I was like, oh, gotta talk to her about that, just because I'm obsessed with the show. um, That you have talked about your skin. (laughs) Your stint on Mayor of Easttown, come on, that's amazing. What was that experience like for you, for you, um, being on on that uh, wonderful uh, oh, HBO Max show?
1: <laughs> oh, it was so it was it was super fun, and um, you know, yay theater because I would I would not have ended up. In that audition room, if I hadn't mm. done a production of Sweat and then uh, you know have one of my castmates recommend me, but like mm. there was this great thing that you know it was great for me as a as a white lady in her forties in Philly, <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> that they were they had to cast locally and they needed folks who could do who could do the Delco accent, which mm. you know it's in my it's in my bones. So um, <laughs> yeah, I and I and then suddenly there I was on set with Kate Winslet and. Kate was incredible. Um, yeah. And yeah, I had, it was, and, and then, you know, we shot it and then the whole world shut down and then I had no, I just had no idea. Like, was it, was it ever going to get finished? Right, or, where was I it going to
0: go. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they did an incredible job um, regrouping and getting it finished. And then mm. it was such a joy to see mm. how, how, what an impact it had. I mean, I, I knew when I, when I read the script, like, "Oof, this is really good," you yeah. know, this
0: is, the writing is well, just excellent, and, and some really amazing actors, yourself included, yes. in that group, and to be able to have that authenticity of the the Pennsylvania, you know, that that area of the country, and to really uh, shine yeah. shine a light on a group of people that perhaps have not had a light shown on them before, so that was really wonderful. So, in a way, it was like a little. It was a play, really, in, in many ways. It felt like a play, uh, yeah. watching it. Yeah. So that's so it wonderful did. that you were able to bring your theater, your theater chops to that, and be able to help and be a part of that collaboration. So what a wonderful thing! So we've got to go, but if people want to stay updated on what you're working on, where can they go? Do you have a website, social media, anything that they can they could connect with if yeah, you the want them? Wilma, Wilma.
1: Yeah, definitely check out wilma theater.org um, okay. where I'm a company member. Uh, Suli Holam, the work okay. uh, org mm-hmm. um, and then I'm Solvay Hollem on on the Insta although I you know I don't I don't get post as often as the youths but that is where you can find me on Instagram
0: <laughs> wonderful well people can go there to follow what you're doing and all these wonderful things Well, I'll be certainly watching and following you and hope to get to Philly at some point to see some of your work or in New York either either of those places so thank you so much Sully for spending your 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 day with us here on, on, on American Theatre Artists Online it was great talking to you
1: thank you so much yes thank you so much for having me
0: thank you Thank you for listening to the American Theatre Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.